Welcome to the T2 Hubcast. Join T2 and guests as they discuss all things personal and professional development. The T2 Hubcast, brought to you by the People Performance People. So welcome to the T2 Hubcast with me, Martin Johnson. And me, Dale Barrett. Dale, welcome. Hi. Well, I was going to say it's your first podcast, but it's not. It's not strictly speaking true, is it? No, it's my second. You did, you you joined us, joined Spencer a few few months back to do one for Humberside Fire and Rescue. I did. Although I'm not so sure we published that to the wider published domain. It was more for the sector, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was was more to um, run internally to to inform our incident commanders. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, this is why I'm starting with that because uh, fast forward to today, Mm -hmm. Dale is uh, now officially on secondment with us. Yep. Um, as a consultant, and it was born, Dale, out of that initial podcast where I listened to you and Spencer and Dave chatting about um, all things Incident Command, was it? Yeah. And some of the philosophies you'd learn here at T2 and how that ties into Incident Command. Yeah. And I remember sat there on a train listening to it, Dale, thinking, this guy's all right. <laughs> he, can str- he can string a sentence together. Uh Let's try and poach him to T2 one day, which was sort of a semi-joke, but it, it sort of wasn't. And I, I remember texting Phil Shalito and saying, who's this Dale Barrett? He's a good guy. He's mm. he's great. He could be a great T2 consultant. And I think Phil responded with, don't even think about it. Yeah. Yeah. But fast forward to today, we've had some good conversations. We continue our partnership with the service and we've agreed to get you on secondment for 12 months initially to get you delivering some stuff and give us capacity and also for you to come in and see the world of T2. and Yeah, that's right. So here you are. How are you finding it? I absolutely love it. Yeah. I, I mean, the hardest decision I have to make now is um, what am I going to wear in the morning because um, I'm institutionalized. So I get up in the morning and um, it's the same uniform. But for now, you know, I need shirts, t- you know, trousers, you know, look smart. So what am I going to wear today yeah, is absolutely. a common T2 dilemma. Yeah. It's like, oh, I've got, the pol- <laughs> I've got the police force in today. I need to look smart, put a shirt on. Or it's, oh, I'm with a manufacturing organizer. Oh, I'm with the sports team today. So I can dress down a little bit. You absolutely. Know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But it, it's easy in the fire service because you have a uniform, you yeah. wear what you're told, and it's nice and simple, right? Yeah. But it's it's um, open to my eyes, um, you know, and it's it's enjoyable, which is the main thing. I'm I'm fascinated by human behaviour, so this is my second comment. My first comment was back in 2012. Yeah. Um. So I was I was moved across into our um, sister company, which is HR Solutions, and and we was looking at um, delivering work at high training in the offshore sector. Um. But bolted onto that, we we really dig, dug deep into behavioural safety. So not only was we delivering um, work at high training. I delivered, um, you know, sessions around, you know, what what makes us tick, you know, because we all want to come into work and go home safely, but we make these, um, you know, these decisions throughout the day, which ultimately can cost us our life sometimes. So I really wanted to find out more about that. Well, and this is it, and this is the opportunity, Dale, for, for me to talk to you a little bit more today because your background is fascinating, and although you're coming to T two to widen that knowledge on human behaviour and why we humans think, feel, act, and behave the way we do, mm. the psychology of performance, the psychology of you know uh managing pressure the way we think the way we deal with our triggers all of that is what you're here to sort of deep dive into but you've got plenty of experience in in your sector in Mm. dealing with some of the most pressurized situations you possibly can be faced with that would be safe to say i mean i'm talking around rtcs Mm -hmm. i'm talking around incidents whether it's with, with around fire rescue open water whatever it might be where actually you've got to perform and yeah. you've got to manage 
you've got to manage that emotional state, that fight or flight that yeah. we all naturally have. Mm. And I think your background is is you've you've been involved in a lot of that sort of stuff, hasn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, over over a long period of time, you know, um, through repeated exposure, you sort of build these um, sort of this resilience to to instances that you go to. But um, let's face it, you know, in the fire service, any emergency service um, where it's high pressure environments, we're, we're just a cross section of the population, um, but we spend time in building our people up. You know, giving them the 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 knowledge, the training, the exposure to to really start to build this thought process up. Well, let me go straight into that then, Dale. Um, we talk a lot about people ask us what builds resilience, what builds uh, your ability to deal with pressure, and remain pragmatic, rational, in control, calm, whatever it might be. And we do talk a lot about the power of repetition and exposure. Mm. So is that the most, like to date, is that the most known way of sort of desensitizing yourself to trauma, pressure and stress, just exposure, sheer amounts of exposure, or is there more to it than that? Yeah, well, it's like anything. If you you think about, um, you know, if if you ask the the, the population what's the biggest fear out there, then right up there is public speaking. Yeah, number one global fear, yeah. Yeah, but but the only way to get over that is actually to go and do it. And, and you start to build up this um, thicker skin, um, you know, and and we see the same with instance. The, the, the problem we've got at the moment is people are getting generally a lot safer. So the the level of instance that we're going to is, is starting to reduce. Um, so what we need to do is is factor that with training, you know, so repeated exposure to either a training scenario or a real life instant um, starts to build up that that knowledge that, that's within your in your brain and i know we've talked um in the past and, and and you're a big believer in the chimp paradox yeah you know them three areas of your brain well it's that filing cabinet we need to start filling up so it's um you know if we can't replicate that through exposing you to an instant then what we need to do is re- repeatedly train in that particular scenario so you can start to get your thought process where you can almost go into autopilot i've been here before i've seen this and i know what to do because you build up reference points in your computer yeah. good bad and indifferent that's a you know what to do. You've been through this before. Mm-hmm. This is what you control. Let's go. The feelings are normal, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, it's really interesting. And in sport, there's a thing called, you know, we work in elite sports now and we're we're branching out across lots of different sports and they have a saying in sport called deliberate practice. Mm. Deliberate practice being you can very rarely replicate the intensity of competitive elite sport in form, i.e. a Champions League final, you know, or the yeah. Tour de France or, you know, the 100 metres final, whatever it is, you can very, there's very rarely you can replicate that lev- level of pressure. Yeah. But deliberate practice is based on the the notion that actually you're going to try and get as close to it as you can yeah. over and over and over again. Yeah. Because then it will some it'll go somewhere to preparing you for the 100 metres final or the last climb of the Tour de France or the penalty shoot out in the Champions League final. Yeah. And I think that's what you're talking about in the service, isn't it? It's like through training and operational exercises, we can build up our amount of hours of exposure. Mm. Yes, it's not entirely the same as the real thing. No, of course not. But it's close to it. It is. And, you know, um, so there's two, two, two ways to look at it. You, you, it's thinking clearly under pressure. So we need to make key decisions, uh, you know, um, built on what we can see in front of us, which ultimately may save somebody's life. But with that, we need to be open to vulnerability that sometimes we're going to get that wrong. Yeah. Um, so what you got to do is surround yourself with good people. You, if you haven't built that experience up and that exposure yet, surround yourself with people who have. And that's where you're mentoring, coaching, or, or just relying on the team around you. 
but ultimately getting to a point where you're not making these um, what we call inertia decisions where it's in, I've made the decision, now I'm going to withdraw it again because I'm not sure. Let, let me probe you on that. This is fascinating, Dale. Um, and I told you before we did this podcast that it could go anywhere. Yeah. This is a sweet spot that I think our listeners will be really interested in. Thinking clear under pressure, I think, is of interest to every human being on the planet. Mm. Um you referred there to making inertia decisions. Yeah. Just explain a little bit around what that is versus a different type of decision making. Yeah. So, I mean, um, there's, there's two main ones that we look at. Decision traps, which is um, when you become absolutely blinky, you make a decision um, and you stick with it, but it's not working. And everyone else around you can see that it's not working, but it's your decision and there's a lot of pride attached to that. So you, you're going with it regardless. Wrong thing to do. Um, but the other side of that is inertia decision where you make a decision and then you think that this isn't going to work and you quickly withdraw it. So it's that inertia. Um, and, and the problem with that is you get into this, get to this point where you, you, you're so afraid of making the wrong decision that you're waiting for someone else to make it for you. Um, and that's the worst yeah, place to be. And that's the worst place so to be. So let me give you paint an example of this and get your opinion on it. And by the way, this is going to no way reflect mine and Dale's political views or which parties we think are the best. But let's look at the government recently through the pandemic, the Conservative government under Boris. There was a lot of frustration because decisions were being made mm. and then retracted. Yeah. And everybody called that uh, weak. They called, they said they're uncertain, that it's a joke. You know, if you make a decision, bloody stick to it, all the rest of it. And, and I read this in a, in a different piece of collateral recently that actually, no, 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 it's a very brave thing to to retract a decision when the, the, the data or the evidence now is telling us something different. Yeah. When what, you know, everything is suggesting that, suggesting that the decision we had previously made is no longer optimal. Mm. And actually sticking with that decision regardless is not what we should be doing. No. We should have the bravery to say, no, the goal, yes, we made that decision on Monday, but the, the data suggests now that we're in a different position and that there is a better course of action. Yeah. And if that means reneging on that decision, or not reneging on it, but if that means changing the decision, that's a good thing, right? And that's what you're talking about. It is, yeah. I mean, ultimately, that can be seen as weakness in a, in a leader. But what we want from our leaders is, is sometimes just to say, do you know what, I got that wrong. Um, and and that's that vulnerability we talk about, and that gives you credibility. Um, and especially when you go to instance, we, we are only human and, and we're fallible, and we'll make mistakes. And sometimes we we haven't got that full situational awareness that we need. You know, we've missed something because you do get caught up in the moment, and it is trying to think clearly under pressure. But you know, in high pressure environments, when you have to make snap decisions, they're not always going to go well. But you know. In the end, when we look at it and we think, actually, I made that decision and it was wrong. If you can demonstrate that to the team, that's when you get your buy-in. Yeah. It's, it's really powerful. So keeping on this line then, um, I recorded a podcast recently with one of the greatest mentors I've ever had the privilege of serving under, Captain Richard Farrington, CBE. Um, he was my old skipper on HMS Nottingham. Mm -hmm. uh, it was really good to interview him on a podcast. And I always tell a story of... We crashed into the rock in Lord Howe Island and we nearly sank. It opened us up. Right. Um, massive major incident. It was a, an £800 million warship that we nearly sank. Uh, there's a long story behind why it happened. Uh, not Richard Farrington's fault in my eyes, but he's ultimately the skipper. And he actually, I think, saved us that night. However, he comes back on the helicopter. It's, it's sea state 10. We're in pitch black Tasman Sea. And we've hit the largest under, underwater rock on the planet, long story short, is ripped us open 16 feet by 10 feet. Yeah. 
And it was all because we had a smaller map of the area and a bigger map, and we set the course based on the bigger one and didn't look at the the, the local hazards. So complete complete human error um, that that caused that. Richard Farrington ran straight up to the bridge. Uh, the alarms are going off because we're taking water in all over the place. Um, everybody's screaming on the bridge and running around. You know, there's a lot of chaos. Yeah. And I always tell this story that in that scenario, he said. Turn the alarm systems off. We can't do that. Mm. Yes, we can. I need to think. Turn them off for a second. Everybody be quiet. And and he and he sort of his first decision was to make no decision mm. because he needed to think and get his bearings. Mm. And it was almost like after 30, not too long, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, his immediate thought came to we need to get off this rock. Because the rock was inside the ship, and see, the sea state was was turning us and turning us, and we were going to break the back of the ship. Yeah. If the ship breaks its spine, we're all going down. So his first decision was, "I need to get off the rock," and then from there forward, then we could start start to make that decision led into another one, into another one. So I guess, I guess I don't know what your thoughts are on that because you've attended high pressured situations and been and stuff, but. Sometimes that little 30-second period where, yes, the temptation, the human nature is to jump straight into action, Mm. start ordering people around, start making decisions. But if you're not ready, Mm. right, that's counterintuitive, right? Sometimes you've got to stop in the madness for a very short period of time and think. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I completely agree with that. And, you know, people think um, thinking clearly under pressure is this high-pressure environment where you can make snap decisions really quickly. It's not. It's about controlling things, you know, the, the controllables that's around you, which is you, and the decisions you're going to make are factored on everything else that's happening around you. You need to get a grip of that quickly. And and that time, you know, that 30 seconds, even a minute where you just clear your thoughts and you think, right, have I been here before? No, I haven't. Is there something I can refer to? Right, yeah, I'm going to refer to this. Is there people around me who's been to something like this? Can I ask them? Um, start building a bigger picture. We call it situational awareness, you know, what's actually happening. And it's almost like taking that step back instead of being right on top of it. Take a step back and have a look at it and then go back into it armed with that information. And if we turn this slightly away from my experience in the military and your experience in the emergency services, very few organizations will ever be in this type of pressurized situation, no. i.e. it's life or death or I have to make a call because the risk it carries in the next couple of minutes is of great Mm. of great risk usually business owners senior leaders whatever it might be have the are blessed with more time yeah they are. so there really is no excuses yeah to uh either make very rash irrational decisions mm-hmm. you know usually we have the time to stop and think yeah you know. which, which brings us around to, um, you know, the, the work that I did around behavioral safety and, and the training that we did is that, um, you know, people who go to work and, and they end up having accidents, life-changing accidents, you know, where you go to work and, and by the end of the day, you, you don't know how you're going to pay your mortgage. You don't know how you're going to kick a ball with your kids. Um, ultimately, it could end up in a fatality. And, and, you know, that's how we got drawn into the offshore um, wind sector after a couple of fatalities is that people make decisions cut corners so that you can put all the procedure and policy in place that you want but we're human and we and we make humanistic um you know decisions which is i'm just going to do that because it'll save time and that's what we need to dig into what 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 makes you make that decision you know that there's a policy and procedure around this but you've made that decision it might not be rash it just might be cut in a corner it's because we're so um removed from consequence and and that's what we talk about in the fire yeah. service is 
that you know the the interpretation of risk is very very different if you've never experienced that before if you've never experienced the consequence then your your version of that risk starts to distance itself so it's it's trying to get people back into focus actually there is some consequence and you may not have experienced that but you will if you if you carry along this path we need to and you know like you know my views and my model on challenge and threat state and it links it links into this with behavioral safety work that we've done in the past as well but also just dealing with pressure like you mm. say and making decisions that carry certain levels of risk is i'm a big fan of going um i think you need to be challenged it yeah in with incidents and with pressure and when making decisions mm-hmm. and not threat state yeah. And this is the biggest mistake because people say to me, Martin, but you're living in dream world because we can't always be making decisions based on what we want to happen and the shiny stuff and the glory and all the rest of it. And yeah. I'm like, well, but you're mis- misunderstanding challenge and threat because the one thing that is absolutely present in both challenge and threat states is that we have a healthy level of awareness on consequence. Absolutely. Does that make sense there? Yeah, it does. Like, I constantly say to people, challenge state doesn't mean that we're, we're, we've got rose-tinted glasses on and we're not looking at what could catch us out because that's dangerous. Yeah. Challenge state is saying you have the healthy level of awareness of what's at risk here hmm. and what are the consequences of certain decisions and actions. And with that healthy level of awareness, you use that but become 100% focused on what you control in the moment and what we want to achieve here. Yeah. Whereas a threat state is where you allow that awareness of consequence to run riot so much so that you all you are now going to do is make decisions based on the what ifs and the what we don't want to happen. And that is not optimal for decision making yeah. in my eyes because you become very, very risk averse. You become hesitant. Uh, you start focusing on the things you don't control rather than the controllables. Mm. That that leads to procrastination, which doesn't lead to decisions or actions. So, so for me, Dale, it's challenge and threat is a really good way of saying it's the same human response. Shit, something is wrong here, or yeah. we are at risk, or I am in a situation that makes me feel incredibly uncomfortable. And what if I get this wrong? That happens in both. However, the challenge state just simply goes, right, embrace that feeling and acknowledge it because I'm human and I'm meant to feel like this right now. Yeah. But the only way I stand a fighting chance is to calm myself, look at what the controllables are are here and make some decisions which will lead to action. Yeah. Because if I start worrying about what if and what if and the repercussions, I'm going to be incapacitated. I'm going to be unable to make a decision. Yeah, you freeze. Yeah, and it, it's 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 two things really. It's consequence, but it's um it's um um complacency that will catch you out. I tried to explain this the other day. It's um if you can imagine like um Swiss cheese with the holes in, you know, sliced up. Um, you know, you could put four or five of them on top of each other, and you could class them as barriers to consequence. So it might be a policy that's in place, might be a procedure, might be by something that you need to follow, some sort of tick 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 sheet. You know, where you work your way down it. Um, generally, consequence will happen, and and things happen when all them holes line up, and, and we go through them barriers, and they can be quite quite easily stopped at any point, um, you know, through you know through a policy or a procedure. But like, like I say, when them holes line up, that's when you get your problem, and it could be ultimately costing somebody's life, or a process, or you've you've missed a sales, or you've you've done something where that consequence com- comes real. So let's bring this to a much less pressurized. Let's steer this whole 
podcast on the theme of making decisions under pressure. Mm-hmm. Let's bring it to your senior leaders, executives in an organization, whether it's public or private sector, you're responsible for people, outcomes, performance, safety, whatever it might be. Yeah. It's not quite, you know, military sinking ship or RTC in, mm-hmm. in, in the fire service, but it's certainly still a lot of responsibility and it weighs on people's shoulders at times. Yeah. If I was to say to you, you know, at that level, when we look at leaders, what, what, in order to make good decisions, if there were some tips we can give them, you know, like when they start having to make decisions that could have a repercussion or could, might sit right with some employees and not with others or could lead to growth or loss or whatever it might be. Um, is there a couple of simple tips we can share with the listeners? What would the, what would the first tip be if you're a senior leader having to make a decision in an organization? Yeah. I mean, we, 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 we talk about the trust, trust-based leadership in, in T2, don't we? Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I do believe in that, you know, credibility goes a long, long way. You, you've got to know what you're talking about and, and have an understanding of it. But we, we hear this, um, phrase in, in the workplace, don't we, which is jobs worth. And, and when you think about a jobs with, if you can imagine that in your head, it's someone who's got a, a, a tick sheet in the hand of a clipboard and they're literally going through it, um, you know, done this, done that, done that. But ultimately, you know, hypothetically, that's what we need. And if you think about behavioral safety, where it came from, it came from aviation, didn't it? You know, from uh, some of the high profile incidents that happened with aircraft, when it crashing, about just going through this autopilot where um, something's happening and one person is making key decisions and not confirming it with somebody else. And ultimately, that confirmation through somebody else, that second set of eyes, that tick sheet that we're all fair back to, um, you know, then procedures that we need to just tick off in our, in our head, ultimately um, will protect us when we're making them decisions. So what you're saying there is um, seek counsel. Yeah. You know, sometimes Don't you go think, alone. Yeah. yeah. I, I think when I think about myself, Dale, I... I because I, I think there's an extended part of that. I think don't go it alone and seek counsel and guidance and input. But if you are responsible for making the decision, you've still got to make it at the end yeah, of that yeah. council. And you, you've still got to be accountable for that decision. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm going to be comfortable making this. I've, I've got opinions and counsel and, and I've now formed my conclusion. But if it goes wrong, I ain't blaming my counsel. Yeah. I'm still accountable for this decision. I think that's what the best leaders do. I, I will go out into the office. I'll ask you, I'll ask Dylan, the apprentice, I'll ask Claire, what do you think we should do, guys? And there's loads of input and ideas, and sometimes we agree, and sometimes we have different opinions. But make no bones about it. When I make the decision, it's on my shoulders. That's it. That's, it. That's and, good and, leadership. And, yeah. and if it's and if it's the wrong decision, I'll hold my hand up. Yes, I got counsel, but I'm certainly not going to go. Well, Claire, Claire was the one who influenced me into doing this. Yeah, it's yeah. exactly that. It's everything you've talked about, and everything we've talked about in this podcast. You know, have good people around you. You know, peers above you, below you, to the side, people you can rely on and trust. Um, but you're right, ultimately, when, when it comes down to making a decision, and, and again, I don't want to refer, keep referring to the fire service. In the fire service, you have decision logs, so we, we can write them down. At this particular time, I made the decision based on the rationale that I've got in front of me. And that's ultimately how you're making informed decisions. And if they go wrong, yeah, you hand up, and that's that vulnerability. Do you know what? I got it wrong. I missed this key element. But this is what Richard Farrington says, because there's really no wrong decision. No, it was isn't. just the decision you made at the time. Hmm. And if things change, you make another one. Yeah, It's not eradicating your first decision. That first decision got you to point B from point A. What we're now saying is, hmm, that didn't really go as well as I imagined it to. 
So let me make another decision now based on what I've learned between point A and point B. Yeah. That might get me to point C and we achieve the desired outcome. So I've made two decisions, but the first one wasn't the wrong one. It just wasn't optimal. So I made another. Yeah. And, and I think that really changed my view on stuff because it was like people generally go, I made a good or bad decision. Well, you made one based on what you felt was the right thing at the time, but no what no decision is is finite. It's like, right, okay, I've made that. That's got me to this point, so I'll make another one. But the two decisions as a as a pair got me to where I needed to be. Mm. It's in fact I learned a lot from the first decision. Yeah. So I think if people think like that, if leaders, managers think like that, they'll be less worried about making them because it's a series of decisions rather than a finite good or bad one yeah and, and we, you know you know I'm, I'm 44 years old and you know I've, I've had a long career in the fire service and I've got to this point now where I've built up and, and you mentioned it earlier on that this resilience this resilience isn't gift isn't a gift to you where I'm naturally born with resilience or I can say I've got it you have to earn it and you earn it through the really bad times where you make poor decisions and you've never been here before and you've learned from a massive mistake to when it goes really, really well. But what I've got now is is a filing cabinet you can flick through and pull out that right decision for the right time and not necessarily go into autopilot and apply that decision. Just check, check and balance, you know, check and balance. You know, what do you think to this? I think I'm going to go with this. I've been here before and I've done it. Let's get that decision logged down. Let's cross check it with, um, you know, everyone's understanding, right, it's mine. Let's go for it. And and the reason I always say this and and and, listeners who listen regular might have heard me say it on previous podcasts but it's one thing I'm trying to teach my kids as well because when you make a, a decision a true decision to do something it then leads to action and actions lead to outcomes mm. good bad or indifferent but you're going somewhere yeah. right when you're not making decisions it doesn't lead to action it leads to procrastination which doesn't lead to any form of outcome so hmm. you just drift in, you're in, you're in rabbit in the headlights, right? So make decisions because decisions will lead to actions, which will lead to outcomes. And then if it's not the right outcome, we make another one and yeah. we keep going. Right. Hmm. And I think that's, that's the art of, of performing under pressure and keeping, keeping on, keeping on when you're not getting the desired result. Hmm. Because after all, I always remember I was, I was probably 15, 20 years ago. I was in Orlando watching a conference for my old organization uh, and the keynote speaker was a, um, a, a, a philanthropist and a swimmer, an ocean swimmer called Lewis Pugh. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. South African guy, fantastic speaker if you ever want to look him up on YouTube. And Lewis Pugh gave this fantastic keynote um, about mindset and resilience. And he talked about decisions. And he finished off his talk by saying, and the reason this is important, because after all, there is nothing more powerful than a decided mind. Yeah. And I think that's all you need to know. Yeah. And, you know, once the mind is decided, it leads to actions, which leads to outcomes. And if the outcome is an optimal one, brilliant. If it's not, we'll make another. Yeah. You've still got a decided mind. Mm. The undecided mind is the dangerous one. Yeah. And sometimes you just got to rely on your instinct. You know, some, you know, we talk about leadership is in, in this thing that you can learn or you develop over time. And, that, and that's true to some extent, you know, where... Um, you, you know, when you're placed in a position of leadership, you really should be looking below you to see who the next leader is. You, you should be acting as a mentor because ultimate leadership is about being a role model, isn't it? So people aspire to be like you and then that's that succession that comes through. Yeah. But ultimately, you, we make decisions as humans on a, on a daily basis all the time and they're generally quite quite right. 
you know, the empathetic side of a human. If you think, you know, someone looks troubled today and, you know, look like they've, they've got the weight of the world on them, I think I'll make a cup of tea. That's the right decision to do. Do you know what I mean? That's that's the that's about leadership. You it know, is. trust your instincts. It's probably pretty right. And with two minutes to go, I just want to make a final comment on this deal, which is this. Some people say, yeah, but Martin, it's great that, but sometimes, you know, like, like Richard Farrington, not making a decision in haste is the right thing to do. And this mm. is the way I'd answer that. Yes, it's absolutely right. But it, you, it's got to be a conscious decision that you're not going to make a decision. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when you sit there like Richard Farrington did and you go, right, everybody be quiet, calm down. He's made a decision to hold off and not make any decision for a short period of time because he needs to think. Yeah, that's a that that that's a decision within itself. Mm-hmm. What you don't want to get caught up is is rabbit in the headlights, cortisol flooding the brain. I don't know what to do, uh, and then you rush, or you're just in that complete paralysis of I don't know what to do. Yeah. So yes, sometimes holding off is an important thing, but make it let it be a conscious decision to hold off yeah and not just because you're freezing and and one of the most powerful things i've heard in, in my career um from from someone that i held in high regard is an instant um we went to quite, quite a big instant um we, we had someone who in who was acting up and and i turned up with another crew and my gaffer walked over and and this guy basically says I'm not actually sure what I'm supposed to be doing here. And, you know, I've never been to anything like this before. And my gaffer just turned around to him and said, nor have I, but we're going to get through this. And it's just real clarity that actually we're in this together. We're going to get through this. Don't worry about it. And we're going to be fine. Challenged Mm. it. Love that, Dale. I think we'll end it there. Dale, that's 30 minutes up already. What a pleasure, mate. I enjoyed that. Yeah. We'll probably come back uh, and and do something else on that, I think, because it's a fascinating topic. Mm -hmm. But, um, Dale, thank you very much. Thank you. And we'll be back shortly with another T2 Hubcast.